Welcome to the Behind the Bits podcast. Your host, Scott Curtis, wants to learn everything he can about stand-up comedy and take you along for the ride. Scott and his guests talk serious about comedy in every episode. Behind the Bits will uncover knowledge from different perspectives on subjects such as writing and performing stand-up comedy, as well as booking shows and the comedy life. If you're thinking about becoming a stand-up comic, already in the comic game, or a comedy nerd, Behind the Bits is the show for you. Now, let's get Behind the Bits. BTB buddies, Smile Brilliant is a sponsor of this episode, and you can use the word BITS, B-I-T-S, at checkout to get 30% off your order. Do you grind your teeth at night? Well, you're among a group of 40 million people who do. If you do, you probably know it's not all that good for them. You also probably don't want to pay two to 300 bucks for a night guard from the dentist and then grind through several of those guards per year. Smile Brilliant has the same custom-fitted night guards for as little as 45 bucks. How do they do it? Smile Brilliant has their own lab, and you can buy direct and not pay all those extra dental fees. You can also get custom-fitted teeth whitening trays and the Carry Pro Electric Toothbrush from Smile Brilliant. Head over to Smile Brilliant, and when you check out, use the code BITS, B-I-T-S, to get 30% off your purchase. That's right. Go to SmileBrilliant.com and enter the code BITS, B-I-T-S, when you check out for 30% off your purchase. Now, that's a good deal. My guest today, he's the co-host of the Clean Comedy Podcast. He's the creator of the Comedypreneur.com. He's going to help me spell that when we talk about it. It's a site that gives you tips and tricks on your comedy, and this is a big and. It shows you how to get paid. So getting paid is important when you're a comedian. And uh, he's also a comedian, by the way. So let's bring him up. It's uh, James Creviston. James, how are you doing? <laughs> Good. How's it going? Good to see you, Scott. Good. We only have 24 hours in a day, and <laughs> I listen to a lot of podcasts, and I think I binged probably 10 or 11 episodes of yours in the last week because the, the subject matter is great. The way you move things along, yours isn't too long, uh, and it's not too short, and the little tips and tricks ones you stick in there are just fantastic, and uh, obviously I was on your podcast. But uh, the way you are running this and talking about the business as well as the comedy, I think, is a great angle. Yeah, there's not a there's not a lot of podcasts that really go over the business of comedy. And that's the that's the problem is when I was starting out, uh, my co-host and I, Luke, started out about the same. We got connected via the Internet. I was actually doing a clean comedy competition in Pasadena. Mm. Uh, he messaged me on, I think it was Instagram or Twitter or something as I was posting stuff. Um, I met a lot of my mentors there. Um, and so we started looking for we started asking other comedians for advice. And uh, they were like, yeah, you know, we'll give you advice or whatever. And then I was like, oh, it would have been great if I could have recorded this. Yeah. And then as we were in the journey of our uh, the beginning of our comedy journey, I was like, we should record all this stuff so that other people going this way will have the information moving forward. And I'm, I'm a history major, so I have a bachelor's and a master's in history. And uh -huh. I always also have a master's in business. So for me, it's 
having that knowledge to be able to share it with the future generation is is always my goal yeah so that's how the queen comedy podcast came about and then i i would i always want to know how are you making money at, at comedy because there are so many comedians that i talk to in la like i don't make any money i'm broke i'm do this i'm that and i'm like well that's there's there's a pro- something's wrong here we have to figure out the disconnect and fix it right and there a lot of it is establishing your self-worth because the whether you're up there for 10 minutes or you're up there for 60 minutes, you have to be able to understand what that's worth. But I, I later I want to go over all the alternate ways that you've talked about on making money because it's really opened my eyes to some things that I've actually taken notes and I'm going to start integrating into my, my life because I think it's great. Now, let's talk about, first off, um, you're a very educated guy, but you started comedy a little bit later in life. Uh, what what got you into doing the stand-up first? Uh, I've always been the guy. I was a class clown when I was a kid, like always oh. a class clown, always. But it got me in trouble. So yeah. I kind of used it as a defense mechanism where I use it as a way to get friends. Mm-hmm. But I never thought it could be any more than that. Now, I grew up watching stand-up and listening to stand-up, and I just thought it was like, People who were famous for some other reason also did stand up, you know, because like Chris Rock also did movies or or Jerry Seinfeld had a TV show and stuff like that. So I didn't really get it for a long time. And when I left and I was in the military, so and we uh, when I was in the military, I would use that all the time to just kind of like keep up the morale and make people happy and whatever. Mm. I love I love making people laugh. And my grandma would always actually say to me, like, you should be a comedian. You should be a comedian. And I was like, that's not a, it's not a real job. Like, that's not a real thing. You yeah. can't do that. <laughs> so I had, I had no clue. My grandma was right, but I was, I was wrong. Um, and so I did a bunch of other jobs. I wanted to be a history professor. That's why I was, went to college. Mm-hmm. And my history professor told me when I was getting my master's that I should go to law school or business school. So I went to business school instead. Uh-huh. Then when I was in business school, I did MMA and I actually was a, uh, was actually a uh, like a manager for a couple of MMA fighters that were in the UFC and stuff. Oh wow! That lived in Las Vegas. So, but I would use humor in that situation too. So I I knew these guys, you know, were training hard or whatever, and I would make jokes and do whatever, and they would always be like, "You're funny. You should do. You should be a comedian. You're uh-huh. funny. You should be a comedian." No one ever said you should do stand up because I had no idea what that is, but everyone knew you should be a comedian. So I was yeah. like, okay. So I went and did all these things. I tried jobs, but I hated like a regular job. I literally hated it. I wanted more. I knew people who were doing things that I knew I could do, um, writing screenplays or working on TV shows or whatever. And I've done this, those things. I worked on The Bachelor. I worked on Lethal Weapon. I've worked on a bunch of commercials, so stuff like that. And finally, I was about to turn 35. And I'm like, and my wife's like, what is one thing you've always, because I was getting like kind of depressed. I was like, yeah, I haven't done anything in my life. I felt like I haven't done much so what do i need to do and my wife was like well what's one thing you've always wanted to do i was like i've always wanted to do stand-up she's like okay so why not for your 35th birthday you do stand-up and i was like okay so nine months before my 35th birthday i started going out to clubs and doing open mics and writing jokes and stuff so i'm learning all this stuff uh-huh. as i'm going there's a guy named steve roy i don't know if you've heard of him but he has a thing called like killer stand-up yeah. comedy or whatever yeah. i yeah, I took his his whole course. I learned to write jokes that way. I read jokes. I wrote jokes down off a of TV. I figured out kind of how they work, were working and things like that. And then I uh, started doing open mics. And then um, I think you I think you had Justin. Um, uh, what's his name? He was oh, uh, he yeah. worked. 
um he worked at the um what's his i forgot his last name i always, but he I always at, get the I, last name wrong i know same uh, i know i want to look it up too because i'm like but he worked at at um flappers when i worked when i was there and he was the he was actually a uh a um bartender and stuff and he worked at the club justin foster foster <laughs> I was like, I know, I will figure it out. So Justin yeah. Foster worked there, and he would give me tips when he would see me do the open mics at the bar and stuff there. Mm-hmm. And uh, he's like, "Man, you're getting better every week." He's like, "You seem like really, like you really want to do it." I was like, "Yeah, my birthday's coming up, on you know, like coming up, and I'm gonna do half an hour set for my birthday." Uh-huh. And he's like, "Didn't you just start?" And I was like, "Yeah, I did." He's like, "That's insane! Like, yeah. you sh- you shouldn't do that." <laughs> so so me being naive and kind of stupid, I went and did it anyways. Um, Preacher Lawson was on my was on my show. He was a good he's a good friend of mine. So he was on the show. I had another comedian and myself. So there's three comedians. I did. I ended up doing 26 minutes. So 26 wow. minutes of of stand up that I wrote about 15 of that was good. Yeah. The rest of it was junk. Yeah. Like, <laughs> junk. 15 was good. And 15 about about 15 of that. I still have in my in my set uh-huh. that I do. Um, but I and after that, I caught the bug. Like then, you know, I started meeting other comedians and going out with other comedians and doing things like that. Uh, I went to New York and did shows at Danger Fields. I did shows at the Broadway Comedy Club. Like I was I was like, OK, this is this is what I'm supposed to do. You know, uh-huh. uh, I became friends with Jenny Kim Jones. She came and did a bunch of my shows. I started producing my own shows at that point because people were like, I want to see you. Like people say to me, I want to see you and I want to see Queen Comedy, but I don't want to hear somebody say the F word yeah. 50 times. Uh-huh. I was like, OK, so I was like, how do I make this happen? So I started running my own shows less than a year into comedy and we were packing the house and I was paying all the comedians and it was great. And then we, uh, we had kind of a difference at the club and we moved it to another venue. So we've done like three or four different venues. And then obviously COVID happened and we haven't done, we haven't done it, uh, because we were coming off of our winter break because we were doing them outside these giant big backyard. It was awesome. And it started to get cold. So you don't want to do it there. So we're coming out of that and, we just haven't done it again. So my goal when this kind of is over is to find like three or four venues that I can do weekly shows uh, for stand up and bring comedians out. And where I live kind of, I live outside of LA mm-hmm. where I live is kind of a dead zone for comedy. There's no comedy clubs in between Calabasas oh. and Camarillo. So yeah. I live in that kind of dead zone. So for me, it's just finding venues that want to have comedy and then bringing comedians out there because comedians will come. I know tons of comedians who will come just for stage time, but I always like to pay comedians. I think it's important. If you're giving me your time, you're giving me your skill, you're giving me your set, you deserve to be paid. Yeah. I'm, you know, it's funny. I'm the same way. I was producing some shows in 2019 and I charged five bucks at the door and it was all my friends doing comedy and at the end i was handing them money and i didn't i didn't take any money myself yep. because they they're in a spot where they need it more than i do and so i i paid them and they're like well we didn't expect to get paid and i said i told you i was going to pay you and i'm paying yep. you i mean sometimes it was 10 15 bucks but these guys have to start knowing what their worth is and start knowing that hey you know what that 15 minutes you did up there you've got two years into that and you need to get paid for it and exactly. yeah i i i'm i'm the same as you that i i wouldn't put I can't see myself putting on a free show uh, yep. because those really um, they devalue uh, what what comedians have to do to be a comedian. 
I agree. Yeah. hundred percent. So I wanted to go back to that 30 minute thing because I know, <laughs> I, I know you learned some stuff from it, but um, the first thing you learn is that you're not ready for 30 minutes <laughs> after doing a few open mics, but what other takeaways did you get from that? Um, actually I had to learn pacing cause I wasn't, I, I rushed some jokes mm-hmm. because I was nervous about time and right. I was nervous about doing it. Um, I had only ran that complete set like three times, but in front of friends and family, like in control conditions, not on a, not on a comedy stage, not in a club. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'd ran that, I'd run the set, you know, like a 10 minute set here or seven minute spot here, or five minute spot here, but I never ran it completely except for at my own home where I have my own, I have my own mic, my own speakers, my own setup so I can practice. Mm-hmm. I think Kevin Hart, I think it was Kevin Hart that it actually inspired me because I think I heard somewhere like right around that time that he had a stand up stage in his basement or something. Yeah. And he was like, put would put on shows. So I was like, oh, I could do that. Like yeah. I could, you know, I'm not <laughs> Kevin Hart, but I could do, I could do that. So I, I, that's what I started doing. And I still, before I go out to a show, even if I've done open mics all week, I will practice my set at home with my full setup and record it and just go over it. I'll probably do it like, you know, three or four times that day mm-hmm. and just listen to it and practice it, listen to it and practice. So I don't know how it's going to work when I go on the road because that's kind of my process now that I'm at home and I can go out to LA and go yeah. to clubs or whatever. But I'm going to be nervous when I go on the road because I'm going to be like, oh, I don't have that extra five times of doing it you know, with a microphone, moving the mic stand, you know, all the stuff that I normally do. Mm-hmm. That's my only weird concern. But yeah. yeah. Um, kind of a squirrel came by as you were talking. Uh, so you, <laughs> you you haven't been on a live stage for a while, and you've been mostly concentrating on podcast. How much have you, in your estimation, how much do you think you've lost? What's it going to take to get you back to where you were before the pandemic? <sighs> I, it's probably gonna take me about five or six times on stage mm. to get back like to get like feel comfortable again mm. um but it's probably gonna take me a dozen or so times to feel like i'm i'm back yeah. in it again yeah. i think i'm i think i'm gonna be more nervous of like when i do this how many times are we gonna be able to do this before they shut me down like yeah. that's my biggest that's my biggest thing right now that i'm yeah. worried about but but i think probably a dozen times a handful of times i should be back back in it the thing is i write every day like i take jerry Mm -hmm. seinfeld's thing to heart i write every single day so i'm writing jokes i'm working on new sets i'm constantly generating material um if i'm not writing a joke i'm writing a screenplay or a script or a commercial Mm -hmm. or something so i'm never not writing and then yeah and then i'm doing uh you know the clean comedy podcast the Comedypreneur show and then I just restarted a monologue show because I want to do my monologue jokes again uh, called You Already Know. I did it for for like in 2018. I did it for a little while because I was really into writing monologue jokes. But uh-huh. um, I brought it back because I really want to do get better at monologue jokes. And I help produce and write a TV uh, uh, podcast called WTF Happened in America This Week with two Australian guys. And so I have to write monologue jokes for them. But some of the jokes don't fit. And I also like to write weird, like off-topic monologue jokes of things that you probably haven't really heard of. Uh-huh. But I want you to feel like you should already know this. Yeah. So <laughs> it's just it's just it, that's just the point of it. And so uh that's that's why I have that one. Yeah. Yeah. So some of the stuff I do is kind of like that too, a little Andy Kaufman-esque. You, yeah. you, you, you want to do something that you know is not gonna get a laugh, but you know they're gonna think about it when they leave. 
Yeah. And, they're, and I'll, I'll give you, uh, whoever listens to that, I'll give you that those monologue jokes are not my best monologue jokes, but I feel like they're the best ones that I can deliver myself. Because uh-huh. if I write something that's Jimmy Fallon-esque or Seth Meyers-esque, I'm not those people. I can't deliver it in their way. So yeah. it's easier for me to write something to my to my style. Yeah. Uh, so all the history that you took, what what was your favorite part of history? I'm not talking about comedy, but what, but what, what part of history did you just really latch on to and think that this was maybe a turning point either for our country or the world? Oh, I'm a big American uh, revolutionary history okay. person. Like I, I love the American revolution. I've been yeah. to Boston when I was a kid. I I've seen all those places that I did the fake tea party thing that you can do in Boston. Yeah. Where you like throw tea into the, I've uh-huh. done all that. I, so for me, that's the greatest part because it was I always think of it as the David and Goliath story. America's the David and Goliath story, right? We're the mm. we're the little guys. We shouldn't have won at all by all odds. If you were a gambling man, you would have bet against America all your money. Like, nah, yeah. they're not gonna do it. <laughs> but but we pulled it off, right? We went through some of the most terrible stuff possible. And we came out, and um, now America is the greatest country on the planet. We have people from all over the world coming here, making it a great place. That's what I love about America. Like my neighborhood is like, is such a mixed bag. Like mm-hmm. you, like two streets over, there's a uh, Jewish synagogue right there, um, like with you know Orthodox uh, Jews that that there that have had to go turn, go turn off the lights for them on on the Sabbath because they can't do it, mm-hmm. or turn on the lights, or open their garage or whatever. And then there's a, a large Indian population that's moving in. That's mm. it's so we have great Indian food and Indian cuisine around here. Like, I, that's what I love about America is like we get everything. Yeah. And so yeah, yeah. On on the coast and in the big metropolitan areas in my area, not so much. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> <laughs> but but yeah, I I just wondered about that because you know it's I I find it fascinating that you you're obviously an intellectual and, and the uh, studies that you've done have turned you to mostly writing humorous type of material and essays. And I, I, one of the things I always say about comedians is that we are the smartest artists in the business because we have to be so aware of our surroundings. We have to understand what's going on around us. Otherwise we don't get material. Otherwise we don't perform correctly. And it's a, and it's not a, uh, it's not a school taught thing. Um, you, you, you can be very intellectual and be the worst comic in the world, but you can be very intellectual and understand the, mechanics of comedy and be able to put that together and write about it and i i just think it's neat that you did that and that you're doing that instead of being an attorney or a history professor <laughs> yeah I, I if it came up tomorrow and someone said they offered me a role to be a history professor i'd probably still go do it because i love i love history yeah. i'm like a big history nerd i love that stuff um i did want to go to law school actually uh, funny story uh, i had a friend of mine who was applying to law school and he had to take his LSAT and I, and he had been studying for a year and he's like, Hey, I got to take my LSAT next month. Will you come take it with me? We take it at the same time. Uh-huh. And I was like, I haven't studied. And he's like, just take it with me. So he studied for a year. I kind of looked over the LSAT book that he gave me. I didn't really go through the question. I kind of like uh-huh. scrolled through it. I was like, ah, whatever. So we go take it. We get our scores back. He gets a 180 and or a 150. I'm sorry. 150. And I get a 151. <laughs> And I didn't study at all. He was so mad. He was so mad at me. He's like, how'd you do that? I was like, I don't do it. It just seemed logical to me. Like, I you know, I don't know. And yeah. so he was not happy. But I didn't go to law school. Actually, what's crazy about that is he 
the law school I wanted to get into, there was too many people applying. So my score with my GPA wasn't high enough uh, because I had like a thousand people apply. Mm. Normally they have like 150 people apply. So I would have made it any, any other year. It was like 2008 when the recession happened and mm. stuff. He had to go to like Michigan, I think, to go to law school, like some yeah. random small Michigan. I'm like, I'm not going there. So, yeah. <laughs> so I went to, I, I, I applied for business school, got into business school. So I was like, all right, yeah. that's what I'll do then. Yeah, that's great. Uh, one of the things I wanted to talk about, you, uh, obviously the, the name of your podcast is the Clean Comedy Podcast. You also have a popular YouTube channel that's dedicated to some of the content that you put out. And uh, this morning I watched the one on, you know, what is clean comedy and you talk about the different things. I feel like, and I've gotten into a couple conversations about this. Um, so, it, from my own perspective, I uh, I don't call myself a clean comic. I call myself a comic, but if I were to do comic comedy just about anywhere, I think I'd be okay because I I don't swear very often. Uh, actually, mostly not at all, and my subject matter is pretty family friendly. But in real life, I cuss like a sailor, and I'm 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 a lot different than I am I, than I am on stage. But there's there's some debate around clean comedy right now, in that everybody's so concerned about the curse words and not concerned enough about how um, different marginalized groups are treated in the monologue. And I, I wanted to discuss that a little bit because it's um, uh, the, the definition of clean comedy and the reason why I don't like to call myself a clean comic is because um, I, I stay very much away from um, uh punching down to any any marginalized group anybody that i feel that uh is is below me but uh let's talk about your definition of clean comedy the different de definitions you have and how you have incorporated that into your own act yeah so i kind of i think i get there's multiple kinds of clean comedy because there's like club clean there is um different uh let's see so it's like club clean let me go look real quick. Um, church clean, um, TV clean, and squeaky clean. And then yeah. now, actually, there's a new one that I'm going to add because I just found out about this uh, from all my friends who've been doing dry bar. There's Provo clean. Yeah. So <laughs> Provo clean is way different than it's. It's even. It's even cleaner than squeaky clean. I think. Yeah. Like, it so, is. Yeah. So so for me, it's like wow because I was going through my set based on talking to friends or whatever. And I was like, man, because I have a, whole, a joke about like uh, where I talk about it's called FTB, where I talk about uh, I don't want a DNR. I don't want if something happens to me. I don't want to be resuscitated. I want the doctor to come in and tell my wife, uh, looks like your husband's not going to make it. Uh -huh. Looks like he's uh, he, he doesn't have a, a DNR, but I do see he has an FTB, a feed to bears. Uh -huh. So we're going to do <laughs> we're going to wheel him up to Yosemite. We're going to cover him in honey <laughs> and we're going to let the bears do the rest. Uh -huh. right? But because that joke talks about death, yeah, right, and it talks about being eaten by a bear, mm. it's not Provo clean. Right now, it's clean everywhere else, right? Yeah. So that I've even had a 
child repeat that joke to me come mm. up and tell me my own joke and they go i love that joke yeah and their parents are okay with like that doesn't bother anybody but provo clean is this whole new clean where you can't talk about death you can't talk about i mean i i wrote down a bunch of stuff that that was passed on to me that i've been getting questions about because i i am new to this whole provo clean thing and it's really interesting to me that uh that there is there has to be even something further than squeaky queen because i thought squeaky queen is like you could your kids could go tell those jokes in kindergarten and it'd be okay. But it's yeah. like, that isn't, that's crazy. So like with Provo queen, it's, you can't use the Lord's name in vain. No uh, sexual innuendos or sexual subjects. So that means if you talk about anything like that, no dark topics, which includes death and mm -hmm. mayhem and violence. Um, and I have like four of my jokes are based on like the idiocy of violence. Like one of them talks about like how I learned about, white culture because i grew up in a predominantly african-american neighborhood uh -huh. and i grew i learned about white culture from watching horror movies yeah and so i learned that all serial killers are white and so that's like yeah. the big joke so but that because i mentioned serial killers and i mentioned any of that stuff that joke doesn't fly there either yeah. so it's that and then the other thing they talk about is uh don't trash your spouse and you can't do any like local provo utah jokes which is funny because um i know a couple comedians who are also uh lds latter-day saints who are also mormon and uh -huh. they would connect with that community they didn't do those jokes in in utah because that because of that requirement yeah where those jokes would have probably killed right they were oh yeah blown away the stage but because that content goes out to the world they don't want any of those local jokes so it's, yeah. it's really interesting hey btb buddies i'm excited to have bragg apple cider vinegar as a sponsor of the show they've been making acv that's what the cool kids call apple cider vinegar since 1912 I actually have some in my fridge right now, and I make a great tahini dressing with it. You should try it sometime. Anyway, Bragg is jumping right into the 21st century with a bunch of new products. You see, ACV has some amazing health benefits when used regularly, like improved digestion, lowered blood pressure, and healthier skin. And that's just a few. Bragg ACV has made it easier than ever to incorporate apple cider vinegar into your daily routine with perfectly measured prebiotic ACV shots in four delicious flavors, including honey, pineapple cayenne, carrot ginger, and ginger turmeric. Bragg ACV also has prebiotic refreshers that consist of ACV and fruit juices, teas, and spices to make a ready-to-drink beverage with the time-tested benefits of ACV. Dig these flavors. Apple cinnamon, Concord grape, hibiscus, ginger lemon honey, honey green tea, lime citrus, and pomegranate cherry. Those all sound great. Bragg didn't stop with the shots and refreshers, though. They also have enhanced ACV for cooking that has new flavors like orange tart cranberry, citrus ginger, cranberry apple, honey cayenne, and honey. I can't wait to try these new flavors in my tahini dressing. All of these Bragg products contain a perfectly measured one tablespoon of ACV, 750 milligram acetic acid, and are USA organic and non-GMO. Go to Bragg.com and use my code BITS15 for 15% off your first order. That's Bragg.com, B-R-A-G-G.com, and code bits 15 bits 15 for 15 percent off your first order that's a great deal 
Yeah, I really, um, I, I respect what they've done because everybody gets the same rules. And yeah. everybody I know that's done a dry bar special says that they treat you like a king or queen. I mean, yeah. they they absolutely roll out the red carpet. You are taken care of. You, And they make you look good. It's very well produced. Yeah. So, you know, a, a dry bar, you know, Bob, Bob Zaney's uh, one of my um, – idols and one of my first guests on the podcast and you know he's not somebody i would pick for a dry bar special because i've seen him so many times but he did really well and yeah and but he knew the rules and uh was a was able to work around that i the the thing that i see is uh first off there's been a resurgence in clean comedy um in uh jim gaffigan i think really really helped it along jeff foxworthy but i think uh nate bargazzi just really yeah. blew it out of the water and yeah. i was able to see him twice uh once uh, on the same tour because i liked the first one so much i saw him in indian and, and then he did uh south bend and uh the thing that i get that really it 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 really shows a positive thing to me is his his crowd because you get everybody you get you get bikers you get um you know people people that are all tatted up you get people like me you get 10 year olds you get everybody and he his comedy is so it's so fluid and so so good and he doesn't even get near not even not even in the same country as anything that could be considered even pg-13 and yeah. and uh i totally respect that but i also respect the guys that uh that work dirty that, that yeah. can be funny uh and funny is funny and everybody's got a place and there's mad respect for anybody that can do either one and get a crowd to laugh yeah no agreed i mean listen i own every richard Pryor album yeah. i own every george carlin album mm -hmm. i own every bill cosby album so i'm not i'm not saying one way or the other i you know i like i grew up watching andrew dice clay i mean and yeah. chris rock like it's just, it do that doesn't matter to me yeah but i know that for and this is this is the big thing i know for me being able to get people to come out to see me my family being able to come see me mm -hmm. and to be able to make money that being clean is the best way to go about that yeah. so to meet all of those things that i want to do in my career that's what it is i mean I'm a big Bob Newhart fan. That's like one of my favorite comedians. He's, I love, yeah, I love so this stuff. Yeah. He's amazing. And so um, he, he used to bring his family. Don Rickles used to bring his family on tour. And so, uh, not, Don Rickles is not the cleanest, but he used to bring his family on tour and stuff. And I want to be able to do that. I, Jim Gaffigan brings his family on tour. Yeah. I want to be able to do things where I can bring my family and I'm never going to feel like whatever I say on stage, if my kids repeat it, I'm going to be upset that yeah. they said that. Right. So that, that's my main reason for being clean. It's not that I have, um, uh, some kind of like i'm better than people because i can do that or anything like that yeah. and i tell comedians do what you feel like what's yeah. for you yeah my first jokes that i ever wrote were not clean jokes and i and i did some non-clean jokes when i first started mm -hmm. but i had a mentor i actually uh had the opportunity to go do the queen comedy contest robert g lee um dennis regan a couple other comedians took me aside and said hey you have good material if you can keep working clean you can have something here like yeah. you have you have this because i was still raw i think i was like I think that was the like a month or two or 
yeah i think it was like a month or two after my 35th birthday where i had done that uh-huh. competition so now i've done 30 minutes now i've done this competition i was against people who've been doing it for 5 10 15 years and here i am like a year in or so yeah i, I don't even think it was a year and i'm i'm up there doing it i'm holding my own and those guys are giving me great feedback you yeah. know so i was very very happy i still have the recordings on my phone from their feedback because it, it meant and one of the big things what's funny is that one of those the dry bar things they said don't trust your spouse the same feedback i had a joke about my wife being like blind and whatever and stuff and uh-huh. kind of making fun of that or whatever but also i was trying to put it back on me like you know i got i got the you know she got the short end of the stick even though she's blind and slow or whatever and stuff uh-huh. um but they didn't like that they felt like i was trashing my spouse so i've i've never been able to get that joke to work that way that that they want yeah so i actually don't do that joke anymore but i used to i used to do that joke and it would kill people loved it but then there were always people who were like oh man that just it seems like you're being mean to your wife and i was like i, I don't get it like okay if i don't want to offend anybody so yeah it's, yeah it's funny and my wife liked the joke she didn't care like she yeah. was like all right but it's funny i've got i've uh, i i did like you at the beginning i had some edgier material and i do a lot of um uh, a lot of dissing boomers because I'm a boomer and I, I, I do a lot of, you know, why can't we get out of the dark ages and stuff like that. And, but it's not, it's not clean. And it's, I, I've got that marked over in my edgy set that I may do someday, but I, I've put bits and pieces of it in, into a open mic or something like that. And every yeah. time I do it, it doesn't, it doesn't feel right because first of all, I just don't look the part. I don't look like a dirty comic. I look like a pharmacist or maybe a history <laughs> teacher or something like yeah, that. So it just doesn't, it just doesn't work for me. And I'm, I'm always, I'm always very uh, respectful of people who work clean because you gotta you gotta make more words work because you don't have any shock value. I mean, you can do you can do a misdirect or something like that and uh, that type of stuff, but you don't have any shock value at all. You have really rely on the jokes themselves. Yeah, and that's that's the big thing is that's why I think Jerry Seinfeld sticks out to me uh, a lot because his he's so good with words. He can mm. do take a word. And just do it. I don't know if you've seen his book that just came out. I think it's called like, uh, is this anything? Yeah. And it's all all his bits from like the beginning of starting comedy until now. And I just love reading him because I'm like, man, he's such a wordsmith. He's so good. I'm not there yet. I know I'm not there yet. I know it'll take me another five years to get there. Yeah. But it's one of those things I keep trying and I, I read jokes. I, uh, I buy joke books like Uh, this and I read jokes because I want to know how that joke works. I want to understand. I have, you know, Jeff Foxworthy, she might be a redneck. Like I literally buy joke books. I have three more coming and I read them and I take them apart and I try to figure them out. And then I go and write my own version of that joke. That's for today. And for me and fits my life, but I'm taking the idea here. Oh, they're talking about, you know, uh, accounting or taxes or whatever it is and yeah. i'm going to figure it out and i'm going to write a joke so yeah. i i like that that's part of i think that's part of my history thing is i like to do the research on something and right. then figure out what happened there and then try to understand it in my own way and that's kind of like what i did with history too yeah there's a and there's a musicality there's a definite tempo to a really good comedian and those jokes and and i I read a lot of books about comedy. I don't read the joke books so much, but I do watch a lot. And I found that I can't 
uh, like if a new Netflix special comes out, I can't really um, watch it uh, and analyze it when I'm watching it with my wife. I have to just sit back and enjoy it. And then when yeah. she's gone, I watch it again, and I'm like, okay, he stepped this way, he looked that way, uh, he, you know, he he said this word like this, he used this word instead of this word, and but you, yeah, uh, yeah. Do you put on the closed captioning? I do. I have. Well, yeah, I have to because I'm mostly you. deaf anyway. So. <laughs> But I, I do this what you do. I, I watch the special with my wife. We'll watch stand-up or whatever. Yeah. And then I'll go back and watch it with closed captioning. And sometimes I'll write out the joke like, oh, that's interesting. And then I'll break it down. Not every joke and not all the time, but I always watch it with closed captioning. I used mm-hmm. to – I tried to get her to, to watch co- the closed captioning with me, but it would ruin the jokes for her. She's like, yeah. I don't want to see the punchline before he says it because, uh-huh. you know, it'll pop up there. I was like, all right, fine. So we don't do that anymore. But I, I still go back. I watch most stand-up with uh, – with closed captions, yeah. I like I like to know what they're saying. I want to hear, I want to figure out this joke. How does this joke work? Why did it work? What was yeah. the what was the twist there? What what did you use? Did you use irony? Did you use a, a fake out? Did you use a rule of three? Like what did you use to make this work? So. Yeah, I and I don't care how many times I watch a, a like a Netflix or an Amazon special. I always get something new every time I yes. watch it there because there's yeah. nuances there that you miss. Um, I wanted to get into the comedypreneur part because one of the things I've enjoyed so much about your podcast and the articles you have up on uh, comedypreneur.com is the fact that you get into not only just getting paid for doing stand-up, but alternate ways to make money doing the what you love the 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 writing part and things like that can you go in i want to talk about fiverr a little bit because that was a good one and i want to talk about you know writing for other people writing roast for people punching up uh scripts and stuff like that can you get into a little bit of that what you're doing and what you're recommending other people to do Sure. Yeah. So my first writing gig was actually writing for a headlining comedian. Um, I, when I used to have Twitter, I used to post jokes and write stuff on there. Mm-hmm. And I would also post my sets, like little short clips of my sets. And uh, uh, I don't want to say their name because I actually signed an NDA, so I can't say who they are mm. um, online. But uh, a headlining comedian who had a TV show and done some other things uh, reached out to me and said, hey, can, I want to do more clean stuff. Can you write some clean jokes for me? Now, they're not known for doing clean, mm. so this was kind of a, a, a vantage off for them. So I said, sure. So they paid me some money, and I wrote – I think I wrote uh, what, for them – I don't even remember how many I wrote. Probably like 100, 150 jokes, something like that. Wow. But I would send – I would send – uh, jokes, a certain amount of jokes every week to them. So I'd write a bunch of jokes and send it to them every week, and I got a, a nice check for it. Mm. And so after about a year of that, they had some other big thing coming up. So they were like, hey, I'm going to put this on hold. We'll come back to it later. They had some events happen, and then um, I haven't worked with them again since, which kind of sucks. But I, I'm sure if I reached out and kind of like restarted, I could probably do it. But it was mm. a lot of work, but I learned a ton. After that, um, people who knew that I could write jokes and would see that, started asking me to write stuff for them. So then I was like, oh, there's an opportunity here to write jokes. And then I happened to be reading other people's books and stuff like uh, Alan's Bell talking about how he used to write for Catskills comedians and stuff like that. And I was like, oh, yeah. there's an opportunity here. So I put it up on Fiverr. All right. I think I started five jokes for five bucks. I think that was like my first thing. Uh-huh. Like I was writing basically a, a, a bucket joke. And uh, <laughs> I got a lot of people buying jokes. Um, some people wanted slogans for t-shirts or they wanted me to put uh, jokes inside their wedding toast or their speeches. Uh-huh. Or whatever. So, so that's how I started that. Um, and then it kind of grew from there. I had a friend of mine who um, 
who actually um, recommended that I go to, I, he worked on commercials. He makes commercials and films. And, um, and so he's like, Hey, you should learn to write a screenplay because if you can learn to write a screenplay, you can add comedy in it and then you can make money that way too. Right. So I said, okay. So I went to a small production course where I learned to do it. Uh, if you go on my YouTube, I have three of my student films that I wrote mm -hmm. and directed and edited um, and put those together. Uh, two of them are PSAs. One's like a drunk driving PSA or no, a text driving PSA. Yeah. One's a, one's a washing your hands PSA, like going to the bathroom, washing your hands. Uh -huh. Cause I, it's like my biggest pet peeve in the world is people not washing their hands at the, in the bathroom and then the other one is a silent film we had to make and so that was what i did for that course um i wrote some stuff out of there i had a friend who like i said did commercials he let me write a couple things for him i was a writer's assistant for a tv show that he had mm -hmm. um and so he liked my stuff he said you need to keep doing this so i started writing more and then i was like what's a what's a good way to force myself to write but also make money yeah i know offer to write screenplays for other people yeah and you would <laughs> You would think that that's not a money-making enterprise. You would think that, like, no, people obviously write their own screenplays. Here's a little-known secret. A lot of people don't write their own screenplays. Wow. There's more ghostwriters out there for books and screenplays than you can ever imagine. I get hit up all the time, like, can you write a book for me? I'm like, I, don't, I'm not, I have no interest in writing a book. Like, yeah. I, that's not who I am. Um, but I can write a screenplay. I've written commercials. I've written a ton of commercials. Um, I took the Harmon Brothers course so I could figure out how to write the commercials their, their way. It was mm -hmm. like 250 bucks or something to take the course. But it generated revenue uh, of me doing that. So I learned to write all those things. If you learn to write things, like I'm not a good roast joke writer. Mm -hmm. So if you're a great roast joke writer, there are people who want you to write roast jokes and they will pay you good money. I've had people like, hey, on our stream, we're going to uh, play uh, a game against so-and-so. Can you write some roast jokes that I can say over the stream to them and stuff? Yeah, I don't do that stuff, so I have to find somebody else or pass it off or whatever. It's right. like, you know, I, I, that's not what I do. But if that's what you're good at, great. If you're good at doing um, – if especially if you're a female comedian, you can write from a female point of view because I don't ever do that either. I, somebody says, I'm a woman. I want some jokes. It's like it's hard for me to do that because I don't know – what's what you're going to consider maybe you're consider it stereotypical or maybe you'll consider it punching down or whatever mm -hmm. i don't want to do that so i usually turn those away too so if you have a niche that you can that you can get to that's the money maker that mm -hmm. is the thing that's going to make you money if you are a specific type of comedian if you can write a specific type of comedy if you write dry humor satire whatever there are people out there willing to pay and fiverr there are people looking for it every single day. You can yeah. make, you can totally make money. I, I recommend every comedian learn how to write a commercial script, learn how to write a joke, a basic setup punchline joke. Just know how to write a bunch of those and know how to write them fast. And then know how to write a, like insert jokes into a speech. If mm. you can do those three things, you can make it, you can make a killing. Yeah. Yeah. And the inserting jokes into the speech, I think, is probably the thing that attract is more, most attractive to me. I'm like you. I probably couldn't do very good at a roast because I've no. done a couple virtual roast shows and I, I stink. I, it, yeah. ju I, it just doesn't work for me. I, 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 I'm like, well, you're a nice person. I don't want to say anything. <laughs> And <laughs> it's it's different between friends, right? Like if you and your friends are hanging out and you're making fun of each other, yeah. that's a different thing than getting on stage and it feels like you're publicly embarrassing another person. Yeah. And don't get me wrong. I love roast. Like I still love the D Martin roast yeah. and all that stuff. I love it. And but I know that they're all friends and know each other. When you do a roast, usually right now, it's someone that you don't know that you learn about like you know, a week before that you're going to do a roast battle against or whatever. Yeah. Like, I don't know. I don't want to go off of what you look like or what, you know, what, uh, because those seem like lame. Uh, if I, 
it was me and my friends, we could totally roast each other for all kinds of stuff. Yeah. And it would be fun and funny because we're all in on the joke. Mm. So so that's why I don't write roast jokes either is because I don't want to write a roast joke for somebody to deliver to somebody and it's going to be mean. Right? Mm. I don't want to ever come off mean. So yeah. that's not my thing. But if you're good at writing roast jokes, go for it. Yeah. Now, the, the Fiverr, the particular episode you did on Fiverr isn't super old. It's just uh, it's a few weeks, a couple months maybe. Um, but has anybody think- come to you and said, hey, I've done this and it's worked for me? I've had a couple of people say, hey, I've tried it and – you know, I don't like it, or uh, it's maybe it's not for me. I, the thing is, and this is what I say: you're not going to get rich, right? Day yeah. one, you're not going to get rich. It's going to take time. You're going to have to start at five bucks because that's what everybody expects when you get there. Yeah. When you get some good ratings under your under your belt, you get some people to look at it. You build up a portfolio. You can do anything, mm. right? I have uh, in my portfolio. I have articles from magazines I've written for commercials videos i've made my stand-up i have enough in my in my portfolio that when someone looks at my stuff they can go through and go okay he's legit i Mm -hmm. I can trust him i can know he's gonna do it i have a facebook watch series that i was paid to write like two years ago Mm -hmm. and that's in there and it's wonderfully produced and it's with a it's with a comedian on youtube a youtuber comedy guy who has like two million subscribers and millions of views Mm -hmm. that i I worked with him on so when you look at that, you go, this guy's legit. He knows what he's doing. He wrote these episodes. My name's in there. I'm on IMDb. So it's like, I'm not, you have to, you can't fake it is, is the whole thing. That's right. You have to have a portfolio. So, yeah. Yeah. I, I totally dig that. I don't have a portfolio, but after I'm, I want to now because yeah. I think I can do that. Cause one of the things I forced myself to do during the, pandemic was uh sit down and do current events jokes i'd make myself do 10 every morning and i didn't think i could do it because my comedy is not current events i don't i don't have a covid joke and (laughs) but i went in and made myself do it and i actually did a couple virtual open mics with it with just those jokes and they were okay it wasn't you know it's, it's not me but you know if I could give those jokes to somebody, then uh, they, they, they'd have to be very timely. They're all stale now. But right. if somebody's looking for those current events types jokes, and I, I think I could do that. Well, have you read uh, Joe Toplin's book? Joe Toplin has a book about writing for late night and stuff. I haven't. Okay, you should you should get that. And then I have a friend of mine that has helped me with that. His name is Jonas Polsky. He used to have a, a podcast called like Jokes of the Day or something like that. Mm-hmm. And, and then he has a book on Amazon called like riddles for the easily confused. I think he's, uh, he is, he's the Jerry Seinfeld of monologue jokes. He is uh-huh. such a wordsmith. He can lock it in and nail it. He's amazing. He taught me so much. So I've learned a lot. And then Joe Toplin's book helped me as well. But monologue jokes, if you can write those, if you can, because what that does for you, Scott, is if you can write a monologue joke, then when someone comes to you to write a speech, you can use that little bit of information, just the intro portion, uh-huh. which is, would be like your headline for the for a monologue joke, yeah. and then add the punchline. That's yeah. all you're doing. You just, hey, Bill likes Bill likes the Cincinnati Bengals. Now you can go, okay, Bill likes the Cincinnati Bengals. We're going to make a joke about the Cincinnati Bengals that is going to be a monologue joke that's going to go yep. in this speech. That's yep. basically what you're doing. So that's why I learned it, honestly, is because I was like, if I could put it in speeches – that's a moneymaker because you would not believe I've written speeches for CEOs that they're delivering on stages like, mm-hmm. and they have to be funny. So if they, if they fall flat on their face, that's on me, yeah, you know? Right. So, so I can't, I, I'm not going to do that. Yeah. So 
that's why I said to every comedian, you should be writing every day. You should be practicing every day and you should be learning a new, a new writing skill every day. Like mm. you should be learning something. Even if it's like you're writing one page of a screenplay or you're learning a screenplay format or whatever it is, do that because it's going to benefit you in the end. Cause I know a lot of comedians who they're great on stage. And then I've, I've heard them get the opportunity like, Oh, they want me to come in. They want me to write a, a pilot or they want me to work on this TV show. And I've never written that before. Why, why have you not done that? We live in Hollywood. Like yeah. literally everyone, every comedian should know how to write a screenplay. Even if you only know how to write five pages, learn how to write those five pages, learn how to write the, you know, the, the header, learn how to write the dialogue, you know, the action sequence, all that stuff. Learn how to format it by a good formatting software. I use Fade in Pro. Mm-hmm. Um, it can go to anything. You, if you learn that, you can you can make a killing. Commercials, right? There's so many people that want commercials for their uh, Instagram, their TikTok, their YouTube. They want to make a small commercial for their for whatever their business is, and they know if they put it on Instagram or TikTok and it goes viral, they're gonna get a ton of sales. Mm. And I get a lot of those too. That's why I learned. That's why I took the Harmon Brothers course because mm. people are like, can you do Dollar Shave Club style? Can you do the Harmon Brothers style? So I was like, oh, well, I'm gonna learn how to do this because yeah. that obviously is something that's people want. So figure out what it is that you're good at. And you can make money. There's, there's an infinite amount of there. When people say, "Well, well, that's just you. You can do it." Yes, I'm not special. I'm not. Sorry, mm-hmm. but anybody can do it. Yeah, and, and it's really practice. And it, it's funny. I one of the things I noticed when I did your podcast, when we did the uh, taping of that, was that you were drinking liquid death water, and <laughs> you talk about a marketing campaign, and you know that comedians did that you know it was somebody a good comedian wrote that stuff up because that was one of the best marketing campaigns i've seen in years yeah they're amazing yeah and and okay this is what comedians want to do they want to make a living doing comedy and the pay that you get for uh say you're a feature and you do five shows a week that pay is not enough uh it's it's they just don't get paid as much the headliner maybe the feature doesn't but as a feature you could do that you could do the fiber thing on the side you could be writing stuff for ceos you could be punching up scripts you could be doing all that other stuff and have enough money that okay now i'm self-sufficient i don't have to drive uber i don't have to um i don't have to do this job that's killing my soul you know so that and that's what comics want to do they want to all comics want to make their money doing their craft but sometimes your craft has to go down a few other avenues and i really appreciate what you put into that because i think that you do it in a way that most people can understand it and also i think it um it makes it so it's not so hard because it feels like taking some of these steps. It's it's just like doing that first comedy set. It's yeah. taking that step is very difficult. Taking that step to ghostwriting a screenplay or a blog article for somebody is is really um, difficult. But once you do it, you're like, why didn't I do this before? Well, that that's how I got started. Is I actually had a job that I worked from home, but I worked weird hours. I worked like hours that were like, you know, one o'clock in the morning to like seven o'clock in the morning, and then like I'd have to get back up at like midnight or something, and or maybe work sometimes during the day. And so during the day, 
my wife would be gone my kids would be at school but i wasn't really working working because it wasn't yeah. it was like we worked with europe and south africa uh, or whatever and then we did have office in in santa monica or whatever but it was like it was odd hours yeah. so i was like i need something to do and i love movies and it just kind of happened that i was like friends with a couple of like i said a couple of writers who i had done stuff you know read, read stuff or written stuff and they kind of read it and i was like i'm just gonna try this fiber thing so i tried it and it started making money and i was like you know what if something ever happens now i know i have a backup plan yeah right? i have a backup plan so and what's funny is i was doing that for about three months maybe four months and then that job let me go that uh -huh. job like literally like my boss called me one day and i was like because i just asked i just had increased sales and done a couple things and i was supposed to get a bonus so i called my boss and said hey how do we get out figure this bonus thing out what do i need to do so he called me back and said hey uh just so you know uh yeah we're not gonna be able to do the bonus and uh we're gonna have to let you go and this is <laughs> april 1st it was april 1st and i go oh this is a joke right he's like no unfortunately i'm sorry it's not a joke and wow. I'm like, oh okay so I, I remember chasing my wife down the stairs because she was going to go go out, take my kids like an early day or day off. And I was like, hey, this just happened or whatever. And she's like, oh, my gosh, what are you going to do? I'm like, well, I already have the fiber thing. I'll just look for another job and just like add some stuff on fiber and see what I can do. Mm -hmm. And so it's kind of snowballed from there. And so I, I've had other day jobs, but I've always had fiber to like kind of add on top of that. and just snowballed and snowballed and snowballed. It takes time, though. Like yeah. nobody – if anybody goes into it thinking like after one year you're gonna make a living on fiber you're not right. you're not unless you know I, there's it's it's hard and yeah. writing a screenplay is difficult right writing a 90 page screenplay if i showed you my first screenplay i ever wrote it is the most terrible thing you've ever read in your yeah. entire life uh. <laughs> you will you'll be like you would never be a screenwriter it was a it, i'll tell you it was a it was a uh, ripoff of encino man meets frankenstein nice so, so that was the, that was the idea behind the behind it it was terrible it's yeah. still terrible i've never been able to make it work i've tried i went back and tried to rewrite it much it just doesn't work but <laughs> I've helped write a bunch of other stuff that's coming out. I have, I wrote my first drama series uh, la last year. Um, someone came to me and said, Hey, we have this drama show. It's on Amazon already. Uh, we need a new writer. We kind of want it to be a little different and stuff. And we kind of want it to follow like a six episode arc. So mm -hmm. they filmed it. I actually, what's funny is today they sent me uh, footage of the, of the editing of some of the fight scenes that I wrote and stuff. Oh, I've never cool. written that stuff before. So I yeah. had to learn how to write a drama. I've never written a drama before ever in my life. Yeah. So it was cool. I wrote six episodes or half hour. They're filmed in uh, England and in, uh, I think Ghana, I think is the other place. Uh -huh. And so it's amazing. And then what we're at, when this comes out, I think we're going to write a, uh, they have, they bought a mall to like shoot all the production stuff in. So they own a mall. So we're going to write a, uh, a action mall movie, like a, like a diehard that takes place in a mall kind of yeah, thing. Cool. Cool. But yeah, it wouldn't have happened if I wouldn't have just started trying, yeah. and, you know, I had good people come and, and be willing to read my stuff and other friends read my stuff. People that maybe did sketch comedy. That's the other thing is if you can write a sketch, you can write a commercial. Yeah. That's all a commercial is, is a sketch. Yeah. And the guts that you have to get up on stage and be a comedian that you don't even need that much to start writing because you're doing it, you're doing it for yourself anyway, first and then put it out there. And if, if it sucks for a while, it's going to suck for a while, but you'll get better at it. Hey, um, you talked about when you did the uh, clean comedy challenge early on and uh, some of the advice you got, what would you say is the best piece of advice that you've gotten from a, a tenured comedian? So the, man, 
one is right every day that's the that's a big one mm-hmm. that everybody told me and then i actually i actually i'm not sure if you're familiar with tom papa oh, um, i love him yeah i do too and actually i so i've met him a few times um one time at the comedy of magic i i got them to send him out and he came and talked to me and i told him i was you know i i think i've been doing comedy maybe two years at that point uh-huh. and i said what's what's the most important thing to remember he's like he said if you're not nervous before you go up you're gonna have a bad show yeah yeah and i was like oh i was like oh really and you like this guy he's like the pinnacle of comedy yeah like you know, this, this guy's on they, him and jerry seinfeld worked together a bunch of times it's like yeah wow that that's insane and then i've saw i've seen him at the uh the comedy store and he just said you know just keep working all you got to do is keep keep working yep. keep writing keep getting up keep working it's a grind that's what comedy is mm-hmm. that's why most comedians don't succeed because they they burn out on the grind they yep. go oh I don't want to do this for 10 years. I don't want to do this for 20 years. Right. If you don't want to do this for 20 years, like if you wouldn't do it for free, because I just, I, I'm not going to call anybody out, but I'm going to say something that I saw yesterday that I sent to a bunch of my friends. Um, if you're not, if you're not ready to go up and do it for free and wait in line and stand around and wait all day, uh-huh. you're not going to be a comedian. Exactly. I, I read, a, read an ad that somebody posted. They're like, I want to be a comedian. I need you to help me with my social media, whatever, but I don't want to go out to the clubs and stand in line and wait all day to get on stage. And I'm like, then you're never going to be a comedian. Yep. That's not how it works. Yep. They, they don't go, Ooh, this guy's good on social media. Come onto the stage and get a Netflix special. That's not how that works. <laughs> it, it doesn't work that way. Sorry, guys. But but there are people out there who think that. And then and with Zoom shows, that doesn't translate to real life either. That's why I haven't done a lot of Zoom shows because mm-hmm. it's hard to translate it to real life. I know what it's, there's a lot of comedians that have started right like during Corona stuff doing Zoom shows that I don't know what's going to happen when they go to stage. I don't know how they're going to do it. It's, you're going to be way out of your comfort zone. It's not yeah. the same as, you know, five little squares watching you on, on your laptop. Yep. It's going to be 50 eyes, a hundred eyes watching you, you know, yeah. do stand up. It's going to be crazy. You're going to go, Oh, what right. do I do? I mean, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm kind of nervous at it, but excited for those people. I, you know, I'm exactly the same way. And one of the things I, I watch this and, I've done very little Zoom stuff myself, and but I do it once in a while just to see what it's like and also say some things that I've written out loud to somebody besides my wife. But um, <laughs> I see these folks, and they are doing 12 Zoom shows a week. And I there, there's a group on Facebook called Displaced Comedians, and I wrote a post about it. I said, you you guys need to stop staring at your computer so much because that is not what life is. You got to go out, take a walk, ride your bike, do something, but you cannot be 24 seven in front of your computer doing, doing sit down comedy. It just doesn't, it, it, first off, it's not going to translate. You may be getting better at, at saying the words, but man, you are just wasting your life away doing that. And I, I got some shit for it. You know, <laughs> <laughs> they're like we, we do what we want but it's just it, it's not I, I just don't think that it's it's an adequate it's not an adequate substitute for living real life right well uh, bravo to them for doing it because it does it's going to keep them like in working it out mm-hmm. but i don't want them to think that that's going to be the end-all be-all like you can't just go and you can't be like you know what i'm not going to go do open mics at clubs anymore i'm just going to do zoom shows that's not going to work for you like, no. you can't do that so as long as they know 
that right now in this situation, this is what we have to do, or this is the options that you have. Mm -hmm. Great. But I knew I have heard other comedians say, or, or put on, you know, the internet, I'm only going to do zoom shows from now on. It's like, guess what? When everything opens up, zoom shows are going to die. Yeah. They're not, they're not going to be around anymore. Yeah. Maybe, maybe they will be like one or two, but they're not going to be around as much as they are right now because people are going to want to go back out to the club. LA just opened for a little bit for theaters. The theaters were, there were lines to get in the th- oh, theater. Yeah. And just, you see like movies I've never even heard of. I was like, I don't even know that that movie came out, but that's how starved people are for, for that, for that contact, yeah. for that being out of their house. They're not going to want to sit around and watch a zoom show when this is all over. Oh yeah. It, and I think they're really good for like open mics and feedback type things because you don't yeah. have to travel. You don't have to go out and do, do all the waiting and stuff like that. And sometimes you just need to say the words and you yeah. need to hear them out loud and it gives you a recording of it. So that's nice. And the uh, feedback you get from the audience can uh, help you, but the, it doesn't, it doesn't translate. It, it, I I just know it doesn't because I did a couple outdoor shows this last year, and you know that's definitely different. It's definitely different, and uh, I don't like outdoor shows either. So it's, I, I don't I don't mind outdoor shows that much. But I think the, there's two big ones. Like uh, a live show app is really good because you could do it on your phone. You could do it anywhere. It's just three minutes. Uh, Marty Simpson has a feedback mic that he does every week. That one's good because mm. he's he can give you notes on your stuff right there mm-hmm. but i think he's doing a zoom show just to do a zoom show yeah. with a bunch of other people and i get that you like everyone is tired of being alone everyone's tired of being stuck inside they want to see other people that part's cool but if you're doing it to get better at comedy it's not gonna there's no feedback there and another no offense but like five other open micers on that zoom call giving you notes when they're open micers or, or just start a comedy it's not going to be beneficial for you it's gonna yeah. it might hurt you more and i yeah. So I would say go to find one. Like I think Rick Roberts has an open uh, a feedback mic. I think mm-hmm. uh, Joel Byers might have a feedback mic. I know yeah. Marty Simpson has a feedback mic. Go to those where those guys they're traveling around the country. They're getting paid to do stand up around the country. Go see those guys. Let them give you notes on their on your jokes. That's going to be a benefit to you. And I think yeah. Marty's is free. I think Joel's you have to sign up for with like part of his program. And I think Rick you might have to sign up for part of his program. Yeah. But go do Marty Simpson's thing. He has a dry bar special. He has a he has like an Amazon special. Go he he knows what he's doing. The guy he's funny. He was one of my mentors at the Queen Comedy Challenge. Uh-huh. He gave me plenty of notes and feedback or whatever. That that's what you need. You need you and also if you're a comedian and you're starting out, find yourself a mentor. This doesn't mean go find go find Chris Rock and bug him until he helps you. Don't yeah. do that. Find a a middle act, a feature, or someone who's a constant MC, someone who's doing shows like real shows with real audiences Mm. and get and just befriend them and get get advice and get notes and get information you know right uh i i have plenty of mentors that are i have screenwriting mentors people who've written stuff like people who've written movies like despicable me and some of those things uh Uh, i've written tv shows i have people that are that are big stand-up comedians that have given me advice you know and and then i have people that are tour touring comedians that maybe aren't as well known but they've done they have a special or they have an album or they have whatever because they know what they're doing and those people i always go to and ask for help like Mm -hmm. hey can you just give me a little bit of advice five minutes of your time or whatever and i don't bug them very often 
but I know that it's a benefit to me and a benefit to them because one, it's working their muscle, right? They're like, yeah. oh yeah, how did I make that joke work? Or how did I get that thing to work? And how do I make this work for you? Right. And that's and that's what you need. You need just and find a group of comedians that you can also hang out with. I have two good friends of mine. Uh, we're all at different different kind of levels and, and where you have different kinds of styles, but we mesh well together and we can help each other with stuff too. That's the other thing is. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's funny you mentioned Joel Byers because he is one of my favorites and yeah. I am um I did a episode where he analyzed uh, a seven minute bit that I did a seven one of the last seven minute bits I did live and so we're going through it we're going through it he's telling me giving me notes and stuff like that it's really a good episode but at the end my last joke is about a cashier saying I look like an older Harrison Ford and <laughs> I've I've done so many iterations of it but I've always I had always closed with it uh, prior to that and he said that joke doesn't fit because most of my other jokes are about my relationship with my wife and my kids and stuff like that and uh he says that joke doesn't fit and i don't really like it so i i'm recording this live and it's on facebook jimmy brogan comes in and says the harrison ford joke's the best one of the whole lot (laughs) (laughs) i love jimmy brogan i love jimmy brogan yeah and and, and Joel's like, see, don't take my advice. But it, it, I thought that was just great. J- Jimmy's like, that one works. But the funny thing is, is I've changed everything up. I open with the Harrison Ford joke now, and then that I go, I go into other stuff. But it's it's really funny how different eyes on your on your comedy will give you different different perspectives, and you end up having to do it your own way anyway. So, but uh, it, it's good to take notes. But Jimmy was just hilarious in that. That's so funny. Jimmy Brogan's so funny. I, I I'm surprised that uh that that wasn't the first thing Joel said was open with that because you're talking like right away you want people to like because they look at you and make a judgment. Yes. So yeah. a lot of comedians say you should start with what you look like or yeah. maybe what you sound like or something like that. So I'm surprised that, that Joel's first thing wouldn't have been, hey, that Harrison Ford bit should be your first thing that you open with. Like you should open that where you're recognizing what you look like and then go into the rest of your material. Yeah. That's what I would have said. Yeah. Like when you said that, I was like, that's your that's your closure you're closing that about what you look like. That should have been like yeah. one of the first thing you said. That's, yeah. At least that's what I would have said. But what did Jimmy said just that's that's one of your best bits. Yeah, he, he said that was one of the yeah, best of a lot. <laughs> And then I said, "Will you be on my podcast?" He says, "No, I don't do podcasts." So. Yeah, he, does, he doesn't do he doesn't do podcasts. That's the worst part. I know. Yeah, he's funny, man. He's amazing. He, he's yeah. His wit is just fantastic. Um, so, um, if anybody's got any questions while we're wrapping up here, just type them in here. I know there's a few of you watching. Um, before we leave, um, where can people find you, and uh, where can they? You're gonna to have to spell out comedypreneur for me because <laughs> I had trouble spelling it this morning. Can so just let people know where to find you. Sure. Uh, so comedypreneur is like the word entrepreneur, but you take out the entree part. So yeah. it's C O M E D Y, and then preneur is P R E N E U R. So okay. comedypreneur. So it's, it's a combination of comedian and preneur. And I actually stole it from. I don't know if you're familiar with. Uh, in any film hustle there's a guy named alex ferrari of the any film hustle yeah. he has a, a thing that he calls people film entrepreneurs yeah so i stole i stole that from him he actually i actually talked him into coming to my film production class and giving a talk there and so he's kind of mentored me for some stuff so i was like hey i'm gonna steal this from you he's like it's not stealing you can have it you yeah was like you can, have, you can have you can have preneur on the end of anything you want yeah. you know? so uh, so that's what i did um so he he was the one that turned me on to that we're like because he was teaching 
you know, filmmakers how to make money outside of the Hollywood system. And that's what I'm trying to do is teach comedians how to make money out of, you know, working at the club or, or, well, if I do good at the club, then I can get a sitcom. And if I get a sitcom, I can get a talk show. And if I get a talk show, then I have this. It's like, that's, that's not for everybody. Of all the people that you know, all the comedians that you see, how many are working that you don't see they're on cruise ships that are yeah. doing colleges that are all these other things that are writing for greeting card companies that are, you know, whatever there's tons of them writing for the onion or the Babylon B or whatever yeah. else there's Matt mad magazine or like there's tons of stuff that you can be doing. Scott Dickers. I don't know if you know, Scott Dickers, you know I know Scott that Dickers? name. He does like the, how to write funny series. He has like yeah, three different books, yeah. but he's, he's, he started the onion. And so yeah. he will tell you, He's not a, a big stand-up comedian. He has yeah. done stand-up, but if you can write jokes, if you can write funny stuff, there's money to be made. There yeah. is so much money, and people respond better to humor than anything else. When you watch commercials at the Super Bowl, like when the Super Bowl commercials come out, they're yeah. not lovey-dovey, dramatic, whatever commercials. Yeah. They're silly commercials. The Doritos Time Machine commercial is one yeah. of those commercials that everyone remembers. You yeah. know, there's these just humor grabs people and that's why you know the Harmon brothers stuff works with their squatty potty and the Lumi commercial and the uh purple mattress and all that stuff yeah. because humor is what sells so if you're a comedian learn to write a joke that should be your first thing you ever do is learn how to write a simple setup punchline mm. then learn how to write monologue style jokes which are going to be based on that setup punchline where you're taking a topic and then you're making it funny mm. then learn how to write a, a script or a commercial or a sketch right learn how to do that mm. and then try your hand at writing a tv sitcom right of your favorite episode of a tv sitcom my first script that i ever wrote um was a um spec script of brooklyn 99 and if when people read it they go oh my gosh is that a real episode and i'm like no it's not a real episode but it's so good and i'm not saying this for myself like saying like oh i'm the best writer uh -huh. but it's so good because i studied that show that people think it's a real episode yeah. like what what season was this on i'm like no 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 it's not it's not a real episode <laughs> like it's not but that's what you do and then you start reading reading and writing screenplays it's all the same thing is study what you want to learn practice it yourself like write it rewrite it do uh -huh. it and then just keep doing that over and over again you'll be successful there's not there's not a there's no secret to success sorry yeah. guys there's not a there's not a magic thing i can't go oh you're successful that's not how that works yeah uh, and nobody can do that for you either you have to put in the work yeah you got to do the work well i gotta tell you i really appreciate the clean comedy podcast and the comedy printer. Uh, I mean, there's so many articles on there and everything like i said everything from you know 11 things to make you funny to um, how to make money. And there's a lot of great articles on there. You're a great writer and I appreciate it. And uh, I, I'm just glad you're on the show. And, you know, I really think that comedians can get a lot from the content that you put out, especially if they want to be autonomous in their comedy. And yeah. th I think that's very important. So I appreciate you being on the show, James. It was great. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Thanks for coming on the on the podcast as well. And yeah.